0: Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Catherine Jinks. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books writing and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from taboo authors to household names. Each week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Now, to us, I'll broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. Acknowledge that this is stolen land. The treaty was never made in Australia. Catherine Jinx is the author of 50 books. Uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about Catherine's extraordinary range, you can check out our previous episode where we celebrated her the publication of her half-century, her 50th book, her writing has won gongs as diverse as the Victorian Premier's Literary Award, the Australian Book Council Award, the Aurealis and the David Award. And today, we are finally going to get into number 50, her much-anticipated new novel, The Attack. Robin lives a quiet life on her heritage-protected island. Once a month, though, she has to deal with the noise of teenagers arriving for a boot camp. Training that's aimed to help them get back on track. The veterans running the camp run a tight ship, but something is different this time. There are strange, malicious be- pranks being pulled, and Robin seems to be the target. And when she looks at the group, she's sure she recognises one of the boys. A memory from a particularly dark chapter of her past. Join me as we discover Catherine Jinks' The Attack. Uh. We've, we've made people wait for long enough, though, Catherine. Yeah. The attack is this spectacular, suspenseful story, and the attack takes us into perhaps every teacher's worst nightmare. Um, Robin thinks she recognises one of the boys that have emerged for this, this boot camp in 2019, and it takes her back to a time in 2009. A child who needs support a family situation that makes that support very difficult to provide. Now, Robin's a kindergarten teacher and Aaron is a a boy in her class that she can see has so much potential but is going to need that support. Was it your intention there to dig into the role of educators and their role in the lives of children?
1: Oh, yeah. One of the motivations for writing this book there were basically, when you start a book, there's usually one thing that you think, oh, and then another thing and you think, oh, and you put them together. And one of the things was Peel Island, which is this leper, former leper colony in the middle of Morton Bay, which I kind of drew on. And the other thing was these endless stories from these poor friends and family who are teachers. And one one particular person well no i, I know two people well one woman who's uh i know who's a who's got a um a phd in early childhood and her stories and then um my sister-in-law who's also who teaches kindy and her t- stories and then some stories from other teachers i know because i seem to know one of them they're always fun to be with and um I just got so <laughs> angry sometimes with what they had to put up with, and um, and what's expected of them, and also disturbed by some of the some of the kids they have to. Like I just feel so sorry for them from what I can hear. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and the way you become a kind of a part of the family to some in, in some weird degree in, in some of these cases. Like you have to you're kind of providing a parental role and all that sort of stuff. It's such an odd situation. and so difficult. So, yeah, I just, I was impelled. I just, it was a certain amount of, oh, somebody's got to point this out and these mm. poor people. So I did.
0: Now I want to jump into genre here for a sec. Um, I described part of the narrative as a teacher's worst nightmare, and look for me at least, there were definitely elements of horror at play alongside in the story. There was alongside some thriller. There's even a kind of a, de- a detective element, as we know that there is something to be revealed. Robin kind of doubts herself at times, and we wonder how is this going to resolve. But I wanted to just think then about those those horror elements that I saw, and I know from our earlier part, the earlier part of our conversation, that perhaps you weren't aiming at horror, but I think everyone has a different kind of horror, a different kind of, of nightmare. What role does horror, or even just playing on nightmares, what does it play in a more realistic-type scenario that you're you're portraying, at least in, in Robin's earlier life in a small-town school?
1: How does horror sort of fit into it?
0: I'm thinking of the way... The, the the elements of horror where we have that creeping sense of dread the sense that oh, something okay. is going to happen the um as as many of the students that I work with would describe it now the jump scare robin gets plenty of jump scares where she realizes something completely benign is has been invaded or that there could be someone waiting behind the door what does how does that play into a more realistic situation
1: yeah i mean that's an interesting question because when I think about I actually enjoy horror, you know, movies um, up to a point. I'm not a big fan of things like Saw, uh, sort of gratuitous violence doesn't, but I like that particularly this new wave that's coming in now, which is usually associated with, they explore things like, you know, like Babadook did or like they explored grief or, you know, they, they're exploring a particular thing. Using horror and it's and it really works well. I think. Um, I think it's a greatly underrated genre, actually. But um, I realise if you're, I realised I've actually used it, though I've only written one theoretical, actual horror. Mm. A lot of what I've written, my fantasy novels, sometimes for like, even though if they're for children, mm. so they can't be too appalling. My there's a series about it's the well, they're called different things in different countries but here they're called a very unusual pursuit and a very peculiar plague and they're all about bogles which are monsters living in sort of Victorian London sewer and when you think about it there's an element of horror there like I used that and then also with thrillers I write I've been writing a lot of thrillers lately and I think all the good thrillers there's... Like there's kind of more your classic born identity type thriller, mm. which is much more to do with guns and chases and things like that. But there's anything that's got a, a more of a domestic side to it where you can't have guns and chases, there has to be something else scary. And that's where you draw more on people's emotional um, makeup and and their reactions to norm to things that suddenly get slightly abnormal. It's like it's like you're in, uh, that visceral disturbance you used to get when you'd see those you see a, a, a an animated face that's not that's not that's almost real but not quite, and apparently that's got a, it has a real horror effect on the human brain because they can't, it can't quite process it. Um, I think that slight problem in anything in real life, you can dip into that and yeah. use it when you're just writing something, as you say, a bit more realistic as opposed, well, you know, a bit more real lifey usual as opposed, I mean, there are a few people I'm, sh- I'm sure running around shooting at people and in the world, but mm. not that many, you know, <laughs>
0: I I want to pick like two words you use there that I just want to pick up on. One was monsters and the other was distortion. Um, The characters that you create, now whilst I am absolutely certain, and we might get to this a little bit later, that there are characters who can be as horrific um, in their behaviours as as you describe, you also got me thinking about that. There's There's a horror trope, it's a particularly modern horror trope where you'll have kind of a a staticky stutter of the screen where a face goes from being quite benign to having a, yeah. a, a, a horrific countenance. And it's, it's a metaphor for showing us the inner person. Now, that doesn't happen. This is not the sort of book that the attack is. But there are definitely moments where we see flashes of the inner monster of many of your characters. And you, you work it to great effect, um, particularly in the way we, um, we view the structure of the story across the the alternating chapters set ten years apart um, and maybe let's maybe we can go to that because as I just said you structure the attack there's alternating chapters they're 10 years apart in Robin's life it provides the like, first thing you do is you provide us with this gripping suspense where we'll get to the end of a chapter and you'll just be like and if I'd only known what was going to happen in the next 48 hours I probably would put the book down and get a good night's sleep Andrew um, sorry. projecting there projecting you hit us with cliffhanger after cliffhanger but there's also that real sense and coming back to what you're saying about teachers any teacher anyone who's involved in education has this sense that maybe at the end of the year or end of end of a period when you're saying goodbye to a child they're moving on to another another grade you want to know like how is this person going to grow up you've been involved in their life and you had the opportunity to show us that with this this kind of ten year gap, I, I, yeah. I wondered what you were doing, and were you looking also? Did you want to interrogate what emerges from the choices that we make as someone grows up, particularly in the lives of young children?
1: I was drawing very much on s- stories. Not nobody. I have. I must stress this, nobody has had as bad an experience as I've put in that book that I've ever met. I want to make it absolutely clear (laughs) that it's never been that bad for any of my friends or family. We would have seen
0: it in the papers if it had. Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's right. But um, there are certain incidents that I heard about Mm. where you thought, oh, Jesus Christ, like... That's poor kid, poor kid. Geez, what a terrible family to grow up in. What is going to happen to that kid? Like, I mean, in some cases, it's partly you feel poor, poor parents as well. Like, it's just, it's just a situation that it's just so awful and hard, hard for them. And I just, I guess, I just, yeah, I kind of thought, I wonder what will happen to this child that I might have heard the story about. And often teachers, you know, like if you're a primary teacher and, um, you know, you've had this kid at Kingy or first first year and then you'll see them maybe by sixth year and there might, there might have been some changes, but what you really won't see much, unless you're in a small community, like what I live in and and my my friends and family here they will run into the kids later uh, and they go to high school high school and everything and they know some of the other teachers in the high school and they can keep up but not as much so I w- um, some te- some of the teachers I know here because it's a small community they will say yeah I taught him in fourth fourth grade yeah. Yeah, he went off to so and so. Yeah, he did. Da 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 da. -da. You know, like it was. It it is interesting. It's something that as you grow older, it becomes more interesting because I see it myself in friends and their kids and things like that. The 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 unfolding stories that people have. Mm. Um, So as a teacher, it's a really big part of uh, part of it, and it's such a part of being interested in narrative. and and, and unfolding stories. So, yeah, I I did, it did, it was triggered by my interest in what might happen to some of the kids I heard the stories about.
0: Mm. I really also like the way you you played with the fact that um, for part of the narrative we're talking about a group of sort of, Early to later teens, and the way they they have very sophisticated adult conceptions of the world, but they don't always have the agency to play with it. And I'm gonna I want to talk specifically about one character because it doesn't spoil too much of anything in the main story. But um, I'm thinking of, and I hope I've got this right, the character of Tyler, who oh, yeah. who within the boot camp actually does end up being a, a part of some of um, the more troubling behaviors but he's coming from a place of wanting to help and support his sister. He feels this immense adult responsibility and we don't we don't know exactly what is going on but there's this real sense that he has this adult responsibility but not the adult agency to act on it. So he has to go through certain things to try and to try and take that on and it's it's very interesting I thought especially the motivations that you gave him in that circumstance
1: yeah I mean <laughs> it's funny when I try and talk about this stuff. I never did a writing course it, it's it's very instinctual for me, mm. so trying to actually unpack what I do is actually can be quite difficult. I find it so with that, it's just like I guess I just thought that would be a good idea <laughs> um, yeah, I mean he's I don't want to give away too much really um. There was a bit of trying to direct people away from him to some degree, so I couldn't... I had to make him a certain way, mm. not terribly noticeable. And I... There are certain plot demands that mean that it... it characters... Characters usually have to cre- be created and push themselves and, and they're sort of whole and they, and they have their own... You know, sort of self confidence, and they they move in a certain direction because of who they are and all that. But they are also some to some degree created by the extingencies of the plot. So, mm. to some degree, he was a plot. I, I, it's hard, I can't really discuss it without giving things away. That's okay, I love
0: I love that what you just kind of described there. You've you've given us the literary equivalent of the nature versus nurture. Um, discussion for uh, yeah, for true. human beings, just like did he realize his own destiny, or was he always going to be bound by the conventions of the pot? I love that. That is like there's a thesis in that. Um, uh, let's let's come back to communities though, because you were talking a little bit about um, communities and particularly small communities before. You really challenge the way communities work in the attack, and I'm thinking particularly of of Robin's um, moving to a small town as a teacher and. I couldn't help but I just kept thinking of that kind of cliched aphorism about villages and raising children, and yeah. in the in the community you create, there are very much two camps with one being one being dominant around the figure of of Aaron's grandmother. I wondered also, like we we have this sense that communities can be wonderful, but are they also incredibly difficult to crack from the outside, as you seem to be describing?
1: Actually, interestingly enough, when I was young, uh, uh, right after I got married, when I was like thirty, I went. My husband's from Canada, from Nova Scotia, in fact, which is eastern Canada, which is a very—it's um, a bit like Maine, so it's quite—it's quite a country. Vibe. It's not, you know, very urban. Anyway, um, we went over there, and he got a job. It was like um, the shipping news, basically. It's very like Newfoundland there, and we he ended up as the editor of this fishing this this newspaper in this little fishing town. I ended up it was a place called Digby, and I ended up living in a place that was even smaller called Bear River, which was um, a tiny little village. Um, so I and here I was, and we were we were outsiders, and I made friend and we made friends only with other outsiders. Um, and, a, and one of, and oddly enough, there was an Australian teacher there on exchange, and she said that she'd already, she and her husband had already been on an exchange to a place in Ontario, but it was a farming community, whereas this was fishing community, and she said the difference was extreme, and she said the farming community was extremely welcoming, but the fishing community was not, and. The fishing community was, um, it, was a, it was a tricky one anyway because a lot of the men working there, the fishermen, I don't think there was a single fisherwoman, w- went out for weeks at a time and so their families were all at home. Um, and even though her husband was teaching in, in the local school, she still found it difficult to crack. Um, and Peter... Was the he was he went to every damn potluck dinner and you know curling club meeting and all this sort of stuff and he still it was still tricky. I mean he worked with people, but I mean one of them was a nun, so she wasn't exactly. <laughs> but you know um, it was it was an interesting, weird place, but it did. You felt it would take a hell of a long time to actually infiltrate that community. Whereas here it's a bit, oh, mind you, we did not have a small child. Yeah. And when we came up here, we had a small child. And so we just made friends with the other parents with small children (laughs) and that's how it worked.
0: A great inn. I'm going to come back to the kids as well, and I also want to think a little bit about um, the men in the novel, and, and broadly, she makes some interesting observations about the the military men, the men from um, what's it called, VetNet who are running the boot camp, versus her experience with um, law enforcement, and particularly um, the the character of, of Aaron's dad. And I was I was really interested in the way through that character you played the ways men leverage social capital um robin is strong so virtually um you know the entire town has to be uh kind of coerced against her to get her to back down um and we we see that like what you know once upon a time there were it was much harder to talk about this because we didn't have you know strong terminology uh, around domestic abuse that was not physical violence. And I constantly find myself coming back to this book, but the incredible, was it 2019's See What You Made Me Do from Jess Hill.
1: And- oh, yeah. Do you know the funny thing is mm? with Shelter? I wrote that and then I and then I read Jess Hill. Mm. And I was like, oh. one thing I went, it was funny because people said to me, oh, did you get a lot of this from Jess Hill? I'm like, no, I didn't. This was afterwards, but I'm so glad I seem to have got it right. And and I I feel like yeah, it was. I'd, I'd look. I'd read. I read that book. I just thought it was so good. I mm. read that book. I kept on thinking, oh my god, that's so much like, oh my god, I knew it. I knew it. Like I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I mm. was just. It was partly because of the research I'd done. Also on on um mm, on these. On this whole scenario of people being against court court orders and all of that, yeah, it, I'd already read stuff on this, but it, she sort of collected it into this massive kind of.
0: And it's it's, it's amazing. First, the book, and then there's recently been the docu series that's been yeah. created. It can create that, I guess, impression that this was this was a um, a new idea, but in, in fact, it's it's more a flashpoint. The idea that your book can come out, Jess Hill's book can come out doesn't create these things it simply articulates something that has been happening and let's not even pretend in the last 10 years this is what's been happening for the history of history this is these are behaviors that um are being recognized and having that vocabulary particularly Uh around terms like coercive control i mean in in some of the behaviors that you show us in the attack it's just like nowadays we just go well that's that's coercive control i mean it would actually be very hard for um you know, coming into to now and into the future, some of the behaviors that you describe to be ignored by the police, because we're now starting to see specific um, training and specific, um, yes. you know, modules. Uh, child protection yes. modules include this. It's um, it's really interesting. Again, the way you've captured a point in time and shown us how those behaviors were were able to be leveraged against first Crystal, Aaron's mum, and then Robin, and um. I especially like the way you've you've really shown us a, like a shocking um, example of their potential for escalation and I can't say anymore because it's a really <laughs> awesome conclusion
1: I think you know one of the reasons I I got into this is because for years and years and years and years <laughs> and years I've been reading these I have I, yeah there's a fascination because I've been reading a lot of true crime mm. People like Anne Rule, who, when she's at her best, she does the most extraordinary stuff with unpeeling those kind of coercive control. I mean, they, they, it's always a mur- You know, it's always somebody who murders somebody. Mm. But she, what she used, she used to do really well was unpack the whole pr- previous life, pulling out red flags here and like you could. Just trying to – you could tell she's trying to work out how the structure of this relationship and what it was all about. And having read those for literally decades, mm. um, I became she, – She, I think you do it so that – I think people really like true crime partly because you're looking – for the red flags that you can use in your own life. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That like mm. if, if this is the way things happen and this is the way these people behave, maybe I'll be prepared if it ever happens to me. You know what I mean? Mm. So so that's that's part of having read all that stuff, you internalise it. I mean, you really do. You get this sense of it so that when I started to read all this stuff about the court order stuff and all of that, I thought to myself, I know this stuff. These are people, these are particularly men, Mm. but sometimes women, because she does do women as well, but men who behaving just like some of these people I've read about in these true crime Mm. books, you know what I mean? So that's how I just got it. I somehow got this sense of what it was. And look, that kind of level of coercive control and, and domestic abuse or whatever, it's all about power relationships and, Every relationship is about power in mm. some degree. So, all you have to do is extrapolate, really. Do you know what I mean? I mean, everybody has these little situations at home where there's a bit of a, you know, problem with this because this person's saying this, you know, we'd be belittling this person for something and blah, blah, blah. Everybody has it, everybody. Mm. But you can, and you can just, so it's not too hard to just go a little bit further. Yeah. And understand the essence of it, you know, not feel that I'm, that I'm some kind of tourist, you know, that I'm not really seeing that, you know, it, I try not to, you know, that what worries me a bit. Mm. I try not to be like that. But, um, and I think if, yeah, why well, A, a lot of research and B, it all stems from a natural relationship problems that everybody has, you know.
0: Yeah. Okay, Catherine, final question. And before I ask it, I want to say a huge thank you for your generosity with your time today. Thank you. This question is probably uh, not for air because it's too soon. We can't do spoilers, but I need to ask it. Um, This can go in like the the bonus material in the podcast. Yeah. Tell me about revenge, satisfaction, and nail guns. (laughs) Like was that was that a pure pleasure moment? I got enormous satisfaction out of that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean um that one that one, yes, the pure pleasure of using that nail gun against <laughs> that guy. Um How how did I It's actually interesting when you do a thriller sequence where there's a chase and a attacks and stuff like that mm. because it's an when you, when i think about it you you it's a it's a it's an exercise in um, choreography mm. and you've got the um the place in which it's happening and the implements that you can use and and um, and so <laughs> over I don't think I start. I didn't start out thinking nail gun. I, I did not do, you know, mm-hmm. right from the start thinking nail gun. But as I was getting into, choreo- you know, choreographing this fight, this chase, and I was thinking, okay, what have we got here? We've got petrol. We've got, you know, um, um, we've got a rifle. We've got, you know, we've got all these – And then I thought, we've got a nail girl. (laughs) Like, she's got all this building material, like building. She's got her toolbox. Her toolbox started. It's Mm. wonderful. Sometimes when you're writing, you think, oh, my God, there must be a higher power (laughs) because, look, this is here, this is here, this is here. All I have to do is put it together. And I was like, she had her toolbox ages ago, like, because she's on the island because she can use a toolbox and of course, the toolbox has a nail gun in it, of course it has a nail gun. I can use a nail gun
0: <laughs> it was it was so it was actually that sequence um and first first the flare, then the nail gun that set my mind to horror. so the horror questions that i I started with earlier that was where they came from, and I realized yes. I could trace it back to all of the 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 more sort of thriller jump scare elements of horror, but then it also set um me, me having a, a weird brain processing information, chatting to my wife about the Friday the Thirteenth movies, and then parallels with Beowulf and Grendel and Grendel's mother, because of of course between Joyce and Scott, we've got this sort of really strange like, I mean Scott Scott is a really um, he is a really blunt instrument monster, whereas yes, Joyce yes, totally and it it's 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 all there like we've got we've got grendel but it's grendel's mother is the the monster in it's the friday true. the 13th that's actually i mean it's it's all there and it's brilliant and it it unpacks something about who we are i mean you i i am almost certain you weren't thinking of beowulf when you were writing no. joyce <laughs> and scott but it's no. all it's all there as part of our popular consciousness that um that we are afraid of these things and you've used that to enormous effect <laughs>
1: Oh, well, thank you very much. Mm. Yeah. um, uh, There's nothing like a good, out-of-control Bogan (laughs) mother-type person who really, you know, when I say Bogan I shouldn't say that, but, you know, like sort of utter, utter, utter disregard for any kind of, civil society rules or anything, like, Mm. just how powerful that can be, like, if you just don't give us stuff. Like, Mm. it's weird how that, I don't know if that's something that's increased. I I don't know. They say that people are much more rude in cinemas now because they're so used to sitting around watching TV, like, watching things in their own home, like, anything Mm. they want. on a big screen and then when they come out kind of the private behaviour sort of filters into the public and I I just wonder sometimes about you know you you hear a lot of you know, and there's a nurse across the road who says she's been doing it for since 1995 and she said people have got so rude Mm. that you know that used to be they're you know really nice to nurses you know who were trying to be nice to them but now they're she said they're so entitled and so rude and all this sort of stuff. And there's that sense that, I don't know, J- Joyce is the uber example of somebody who just plows through society mm. like it's all there for her yeah. and, you know, nobody else matters. Mm. So, mm.
0: I am speaking with Catherine Jinx. Her th- new novel... Her 50th published work is The Attack. It is an incredible story that owes me a few uh, hours of sleep where I just could not put it down. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank
1: you for having me. What a great talk.
0: (laughs) You've really you really helped me get to the bottom of just some, some truly horrifying things that are going to get people turning pages. And remember, when you go out and buy The Attack, support your local independent bookstore, it is so hard to be publishing a book in the middle of a lockdown. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy these incredible stories. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. That's it for this great conversation with Catherine Jinx. Catherine's new novel is The Attack. It's out now from text. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Ganangara people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe in your podcast app. There is a new Great Conversation every week. And you know what? I never mentioned this, but if you are in Sydney or you want to tune in wherever you are in the world, you can listen to Final Draft live. We are a part of 2SER 107.3, Sydney-based radio station. If you go to 2SER.com, you can listen live wherever you are in the world. Final Draft, we go to air Saturday morning, Sydney time. I'm Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Thanks for joining me. Happy reading.